0: And now from the world famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel on fashionable Park Avenue where New York's glamorous high society is celebrating New Year's Eve in the grand ballroom. Don't you dare go away because this is the place to be. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. My name is Matthew Porter, and with me, of course, is Ian Porter. And what we do here is I show Ian TV and movies from my youth so he can figure out what on earth happened to to me, and I can make sure things happen to him so we can continue to communicate for the rest of our lives. This was a little bit more of a when. A when happened to you instead of a what? This was very time-based. Oh, and and of course, this is a special edition, especially if you're listening to it when it's released. (coughs) Happy New Year! (laughs) Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Interlunium Media Project. Woo! We are celebrating several New Years. As we record this, uh, we're heading towards New Year... 2019 is that real is that can that be real
1: yes it is real that's
0: later than a lot of the science fiction i'm going to be showing you in coming months uh, i don't know who that hurts more (laughs)
1: but we also celebrated several other new year's eves Um, i didn't exist for most of these all any of the ones that we showed i'm hoping to exist in this one that you're hearing this on, but <laughs> the the ones we watched, I didn't. No,
0: no, you didn't. And this was kind of a, a, an impromptu setup for this podcast. I had something picked out, and we've been trying to keep to an every other week, every other Monday kind of schedule for releasing these. Hi out there to all the regular listeners. And we were planning this. I was looking at the calendar, and Mrs. Darling Wife mentions, you do realize that your next podcast is due to go out on Monday december 31st so that immediately made us think we've
1: got to find something to do for new year's eve i i actually mentioned this to her earlier but she is kind of this show's producer in some ways she she's she's done a lot of scheduling of making sure like you're this is part of a recording right and you guys that room's open go record so, She's
0: certainly the muse and guiding force of this podcast oh yeah, in ways she, that she never intended to be.
1: Absolutely.
0: But, but that's why you're listening to this special uh, podcast, uh, releasing this couple of days early so that you have a chance to use it to really get in the mood for New Year's Eve. Exactly. And I wasn't sure what to call this one. I think it is uh, the the, the deathmatch of um, – no, I don't want to say that. That's kind of bad taste. But I was going to say um, Guy Lombardo versus Dick Clark. Or Guy Lombardo versus New Year's Rockin' Eve. <laughs> or maybe it's Guy Lombardo's New Year's Rockin' Eve.
1: That's an alternate history. Uh, that, oh, that is a freaky alternate history. I, I'm going to get this out of my head now. I keep I, I keep hearing Guy Lombardo, and I keep thinking Falco Lombardi. Maybe I'm just playing too much Smash Brothers, but now I can't get that like weird hybrid out of my head.
0: That would be a cool New Year's Eve.
1: Oh, yeah. Falco, Falco Lombardi and his Royal Canadians. <laughs> just all of the Star Fox team there.
0: Well, this was a, uh, a challenge to put together. Also, a lot of the media that we, we watch, the movies and TV, these days you trip over the stuff. It's hard not to find copies of anything that was popular, uh, even going back into the 60s. The Avengers, that wasn't really a problem. Max Headroom,
1: not a problem. There's, there's plenty of things that if they can get a recording, be it okay quality or good quality, it will either be pressed to a DVD box set or it'll be available as part of a backlog on a streaming service now. Some of this access we've been able to find is part of what's allowed you to show me these things now, even when a few years ago, they were harder to find even than they are now.
0: And the number of streaming services that offer a lot of these things that I'm trying to find to show you just keeps expanding. In addition to the big ones like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and the various networks, we've also got... You know, Tubi and Classics with an X, which has a lot of great old movies on it. Most of them before my time, but there was some cool stuff on there. But this was a tough one because I wanted to show Ian some New Year's Eve programming from back when I was little and when I when I was um, was younger. And that's ephemeral. It's
1: hard to find that stuff. It is inherently tied to a specific time... And is inherently replaced within one year's time. Exactly. Yeah, and
0: who's really interested in watching New Year's Eve from 1997 or from, from let alone 1977? Let alone, you know, 2017. Once it's over, New Year's Eve is over, you're moving on.
1: Who wants to see it again? There's a couple of instances where like a specific musical act could be the thing that keeps it around. If you're really a fan of one band and they've got a performance, you might keep that as an instance of their play. But even that kind of was shifting, and we saw that change over this course of stuff. So
0: I don't, I don't know if that theory holds up, Ian. If so, the Guy Lombardo fans of the world would have made sure there was a box set of every one of his 48. Yeah, actually, right, 48 different New Year's Eve uh, telecasts. And yet I couldn't find him anywhere.
1: <laughs> I'm just, sorry, I'm just having the weird idea now of Tears for Fears doing a Guy Lombardo cover after combining those in my head. And it's getting stranger by the minute in my mind here. That, yeah, I
0: I could more easily imagine Guy Lombardo doing a Tears for Fears cover. Yeah, that's because we did hear Guy Lombardo do some covers and he still makes he and his Royal Canadians still make every song. Sound the same? Yeah, I mean, I was waiting for him to you know bust out some some covers from Iggy Pop and the Stooges, and they still <laughs> would have sounded like everything else. Guy Lombardo uh, played. Oh yeah, and just to give you folks some context, what we watched first this evening was portions of Guy Lombardo's final broadcast, uh, the New Year's Eve before he uh, unfortunately passed away after a, a remarkable life in music and in broadcasting. This was New Year's Eve, 1977, wasn't it? So it yeah, was, 1976
1: uh, to 19 into 1977. Yeah,
0: so it was December 31st, uh, uh, 1976, and his telecast from
1: New York's Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Oh yeah, it was much more New York centric. This was about being in this one location. Very much. This wasn't his name was the name of your host. But I mean that in terms of the guy whose place you're coming into so that you as his friend can be presented with this music. Not as host is one of the pieces of entertainment and media in front of you. He kind of introduced each song and then stepped aside. Even if his band was there and he's mentioning his people, he wasn't trying to hold spotlight the same way. Right. He was really an
0: old-time band leader going back to the 20s. And because of this, even for 1976, this was a very old-time kind of TV broadcast. And it was—I don't think it—I didn't see this very much, but I don't think it changed much in the 48 years that uh, he did this, except maybe going from black and white to color and adding a couple of Barry Manilow covers and things like Mm -hmm. that. The, it was they had this big party in the Waldorf Astoria. A bunch of people came, drunk, wore stupid hats, <laughs> and Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians, which is a big band, was, was up on stage. And uh, CBS pointed a camera at it, and that was it. That was the that was the TV oh, yeah. show. It,
1: it, it was it was a lot more like aim it at the music and hold a long shot. This is about watching the performers on the stage play, and we'll cut to the swaying mass of people more of whom could dance, and they were kind of dancing, but there wasn't a lot of space all the time. And I I was happy to see that the concept of excitingly waving at a TV camera pointed at you has never changed. You always, like, there is always the people, ooh, camera, wave, 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 and it's the exact same wave. It is that same floppy exuberant a little too high above your head. (gasps) Ah! kind of wave every time. There was one thing I noted that was in this that I don't see enough now. It was gone nine years later in the other video we were watching. And that is the, I don't know what to think of this. So I'm going to stare at it and go right through that lens. I see you and the ice in your soul sitting on the couch there, kind of dead tracking shot stare. Some people did. You don't see that anymore. It's all just the happy wave. But there was like more than one instance in this video we had of just glaring at the camera till it turned away from you. And I liked that in this, like, I am going to power move whoever is running this studio in this weird way. That's a thing I want to see come back. If you can pull that off, I applaud you because that takes something there's not much of anymore. This was a lot
0: darker for you than it, for you than it was for me.
1: Okay, uh, <laughs> it, it turned the moment
0: the topics of
1: some of these songs came on.
0: Oh yeah, but you're. I would. I want to hear a, 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 an anthropologist uh, give me an explanation of that sometime because I never thought of it like that. But the way you described it is accurate, and that there are these two responses. There's the frenetic waving, or there's that dead eyed stare. I don't know if it's in challenge or in fear. <laughs> But you're right, it's one or the other, and the stare kind of went away. Or the directors got better at keeping it out of the telecast.
1: Yeah, they either got good at avoiding the stare, or everyone just got used to it enough the stare left. But it is a power move that no one's picking up. Yeah, but that that wave, it's got to be some kind of a visceral
0: reaction. We must be able to trace it back to some pre-television, pre-technological Response, you know, recognize me, my tribe. Do not shoot me. Yeah, I wave at you and (laughs) smile. Yeah, we watched an abbreviated version of Guy Lombardo's final New Year's Eve telecast.
1: It was somehow still slow. Yes, yeah.
0: I told you I could have dug up the the full one hour or ninety minutes or whatever it was if you wanted. I'm still willing to do that. I
1: wouldn't be awake to podcast then. (laughs) I would be comatose.
0: And oh. you're, yeah, it was just it was a straightforward program. A few words from from Guy Lombardo introducing each song, and um, they
1: played music. It, it it you described it when you were telling like when you gave me the little heads up. You give me a little blurb when you start the video most times, just yeah. so that I'm like a little context, a little yeah. context. And you described this as the background radiation of a new year's eve event when you were a kid right this was the thing that was on in the background watching and that made so much sense because it wasn't something designed to draw your eye to keep it there it was something designed to fill a space it was it was a little bit more here's the window into the rest of the party you are happening to attend that's
0: an interesting way to put it. I never really thought about it that way. When I was saying it was kind of just the background noise of the background radiation, I was thinking more in terms of my age at the time and how involved I was in any of this stuff. My parents, the one big party that my parents had every year, your um, grandma and pop pop. It was a New Year's Eve party in our basement in the 1970s. We had a 1960s style rec room and they would decorate that with streamers and and crepe paper and balloons and all their friends would come over and and drink and and have snacks and watch Guy Lombardo. That was what was on the television at the time. And I was never part of that world. This was something mom and dad did. But I kind of knew just from glimpses there was this Happy old guy with a giant group of musicians behind him who would be on the television when they were doing this. So, and my understanding later on was that this kind of was TV on New Year's Eve for millions and millions of people. Yeah. But you're right. Even at those parties, for the people at the party, it served as just background. It was a, they were at a party and this was a window into a bigger party that was happening somewhere else at the same time. It was the interconnection
1: of an event, not an event delivered to you. You you were part of this. Right. It wasn't, you are going to this. You are, like, it's not that this is happening to you. You are part of what's going on here in that sense.
0: Yeah, your experience, at least what you could see and hear, wasn't that different from that of somebody who was there at the Waldorf Astoria. You just might so. not
1: have as silly of a hat. Right. Or you might have found a, a much sillier hat. <laughs> but that's kind of the the difference at that point, so yeah, so it was very
0: much just sort of background t v ambient t v for for the party, and it gave you a common trigger for counting down to new year 's Eve to do new mm. the, the
1: ball drop on midnight uh, An interesting example of that is the fact that it was not sponsored i mean they they mentioned the station they're on and the you know the the wonderful other stations that might be broadcasting us as well. But there was never a pause for... I mean, maybe it's just the edit, but there wasn't as much of a a choppiness. It seemed more continuous. Even with the chops they made for this edit, and you showed me a bit of the long version, too. I didn't think there was as many breaks. No, I
0: don't know that there were. And this was on CBS for years and years and years. And there were commercials, I believe. I'd be shocked if there weren't commercials. But you're right. The program itself, just like if you were in the... The hall where the event was happening, you weren't bouncing around from thing to thing, place to place. You were there to dance and listen to music, and that was kind it, of continuous.
1: And it didn't have those buffers to go in and out of commercial break the same way. It probably right. would just transition into commercial and transition back to the event. Yeah. Just like you'd wandered in and out of the room. Yeah, right. That's a good point. A good way to put it, I mean.
0: But yeah, the uh, the musical selections were in some ways... Not particularly meaningful because, as I was saying, ev- just about everything somehow wound up sounding the same, yeah, as played by by Guy Gal- Lombardo and the Royal Canadians. Although some of them, yeah, I don't know that they would well i don't know maybe they would be on tv today because (laughs) you look at the lyrics of some songs that do end up on tv and
1: it would take a very different edit of that song okay i'm I'm looking at my notes as to what that the one that made me immediately like turn and just go pale i'm looking at the name silver dollar
0: you can throw a silver dollar
1: Oh my goodness. I I have it written down here as it's a passive-aggressive social media post set to upbeat music. Its entire lyrics were the sort of I'm-not-gonna-name-names post you'd see nowadays when someone breaks up of the she's-going-off-to-a-different-guy kind of weirdly sexist angry kind of thing but it seems chipper and upbeat in this version and i can't tell why yeah it's this poppy little song but
0: and it's right and and is it even about one particular woman right it's just making these blanket declarations about men and women and lines like you know as a dollar goes from hand to hand a woman goes from man to man and these like it's i don't know it's the 1970s incel anthem
1: yes what in the world is this thing yeah,
0: I was I was uh-huh. not sure what to make of that. There's only one thing worse in human universe and that's a woman, a pretty woman or any woman without a man. I don't want to lean too much on in this podcast in general. I don't want to lean too much on it's a product of its time because that's a cheap excuse and you know standards are still standards. But Man, times have to have been different for that to have seemed like a happy party song like that. Either either
1: times are very different and that's what I think, or how you code sarcasm has shifted enough that we can't read this song the same way. Yeah. This this is either an issue of problematic context or we need some sort of Social Rosetta Stone to properly understand w- how it was being read, and I'm—I don't think that second exists because I think yeah. it meant itself in the first one. I really have trouble thinking of context
0: that would make that song much better.
1: Yeah, it, really it's better? A, it, no, listenable without cringe, maybe. But oh, even if that's still a tall, tall order. Yeah, of
0: Anything's possible, but I wouldn't be really expecting that. Yeah,
1: I no. Guess.
0: But yeah, it was it was a pretty straightforward telecast. They pointed a camera at the room occasionally, pointed a camera at the bandstand, and uh, you get an hour or so of music. And eventually, they count down to the ball drop in Times Square. Yeah, that,
1: the most similar thing between the two was transitioning over to Times Square, New York. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it it was right down to the the first thing the announcer says: "It's in Times Square." is how cold it is right it was i mean it, it, they they were doing they were doing those same beats back then
0: now we go to times square and ben drower to see the excitement over there take it away ben
1: take it away oh i hope i can talk i just saw the sign up there and it said 15 degrees this is the coldest new year's eve i've ever covered in almost 40 years you're from the rocky mountains oh, Denver, yes. You're you're not cold here. No, we're okay. We're used to this. The temperature is 43
0: degrees, by the way, here in Times Square. And when they did count down to New Year's Eve, that's when we get that awesome animation over the live telecast, all of this kind of flat, moving, I don't know how to describe it, but it was a very, very cartoony animation of... Champagne glasses and swirls, and I think maybe it was some kind of a hypno-Illuminati message. Oh, yeah. That they're programming the denizens of of America, anybody who's watching CBS, for the uh, the next year's secret programming.
1: The new year has struck, and the LSD has kicked in right on time! (laughs) It also went for way longer than I expected. They carry that energy going. It just... You know, animations, party, oh, yay, yeah. yay, they trumpets,
0: milk- yay. That midnight moment is milked for a long time, even on those uh, old Guy Lombardo telecasts. Oh, yeah. So I gave Ian uh, that kind of 15-minute sample that I found on YouTube. I'll link that in the show notes to uh, to just give you a sense of what TV, what, what the most popular New Year's Eve TV had been for decades and decades. And then... We, uh, we watched something else because around that time through the 70s there was of course a generational shift happening and something else took over
1: Dick Clark's New Year's Rocking Eve From Hollywood London
0: and live from New Orleans Las Vegas and Times Square in New York ABC invites you to the hottest party of the year. Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve 1986. Brought to you by Juicy Fruit Gum. That's right. We also watched New Year's Rockin' Eve. And to make it a little more relevant, I went forward a few uh, years, nine years, like you mentioned, Ian, to New Year's Eve... New Year's Rockin' Eve, excuse me, that's an important uh, adjective. New Year's Rockin' Eve 1986. So this was from December 31st, 1985. Mm-hmm. Ringing in the new year of 1986 with Dick Clark in uh, Times Square.
1: And immediately, the, f- the first thing, right off the of that, corporate sponsors yes. for the event. and um, And that right there sets a tone. Because now the hosts are an event now it's these people you're coming to watch do a thing for new years you're not you're not there with them you're told how awesome and great it would be if you were there that's that difference it's it's exclusionary a little I I, I don't know how to describe that properly it's it's a little separating because suddenly this is a more staged event,
0: it was very staged, very stage managed in some ways. it had a link to the guy Lombardo stuff because there was a party going on at the time. it was i don't know it was a sound stage or what space they had, but there were people there live and dancing and wearing party hats in front of the stage where the musical acts were happening, but it was clearly being done. for the television. Not, we're having this big party and we happen to invite in some TV cameras.
1: Exactly. And I'm going to correct you. Half of the people on the soundstage were dancing. Half of them thought they would try. And they were not. (laughs) There is actually a distinct lack of ability to dance in some of these people. And they even hold a few shots of these people who cannot dance in this in a, like... You can watch them learn that they don't know how to move arms and legs at the same time kind of issue.
0: Yeah, I think dancing and parties might have meant something different to this crowd. You're talking about a much, much younger crowd, and you're talking about the 80s. Um, I think dancing was a certain vibe as as much as actual physical movement.
1: Oh, yeah. And and there was a lot... there was a lot more musical acts. It was more varied. It was quicker cut. And you were going from group to place to group to place to host segment to commercial to group to place. And it was a little bit more m- little bit more moving around in that sense. Yep. This
0: was the hey- heyday of MTV. So there was a lot of cutting even within a particular act, a particular musical number, a lot more camera work, a lot more camera angles but you're right The overall the broadcast itself reflected that as well well they had satellite technology so they were not only in New York New York might have been the home base but they also were at least crowd shots uh, of Las Vegas and New Orleans and uh, um, Los Angeles and they had a satellite link for some live musical performances from London absolutely
1: and if If you note the fact that New Year's wouldn't line up across those, yeah, they don't kind of, they don't deal with that. They actually have fireworks going off in Las Vegas the same time as New York and respond as though this is all one thing, when no, that's like two hours early in Las Vegas, they're they just ignore time zones at that point. But. I think it's it's a it's a
0: very telling example of Eastern time zone privilege or uh, or imperialism. And I didn't really recognize this when I gr- was growing up in the Eastern time zone. But, yeah, so much of the world, or at least people in Eastern time, just assume that the rest of the world is going to be keyed to it. And it's things like this that probably help. It's like, well, the ball dropped in uh, in New York. That means we should celebrate New Year's everywhere. I don't know if that happens as much anymore. But it's certainly what ABC was pushing there. And oh, it's a yeah. very different experience for us now, celebrating New Year's Eve in Mountain Time, when uh, you know, we're getting texts from family uh, at midnight, at ten o'clock our time, wishing us a
1: happy New Year. I'm, I'm going to share a personal story here, though. I've loved that fact at times, though, because there's one major instance I remember where I got a gift that you didn't want me pl- that I wasn't supposed to open up yet. I was really excited to play with it, and it's it's new year's because we'd been on a trip. we came home, and I'm waiting there, holding it, and we get these texts, and we watch the video of the ball drop and it's it's only ten, and I see this on the on the clock and Mom turns to me and says, "It's the next year over there. you can open it now and i'm I'm so excited, so that difference has always been important to me because it means you can fudge two hours of what a year is every time, and I'm excited. So we've given you
0: a sense of the the relativity of time and Absolutely. How this is all
1: mutable and flexible. Exactly. It's all about how fast you're moving and what gravity well you're in. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great.
0: So for the New Year's Rockin' Eve 1986, we had the whole uh, broadcast, or at least almost the entire broadcast of whatever VHS uh, tape. This was from cut off before the end of the final musical number. And again, this was difficult to find. I found a copy of this thanks to the internet archive. Ooh. And we were able to, uh, to watch that video. Thank you archive. But yeah, we, uh, we got quite a variety of musical numbers there and oh, yeah. some of them are, are memorable today and, and some are not. And they included, the Temptations. They included the Four Tops, and they included the Motels. uh Huh. Well, the the Temptations and the Four Tops they were not current, cutting edge groups in the mid '80s. But which music still stands up now in uh, nineteen in uh, excuse, nineteen in twenty eighteen? It's the Temptations, followed oh, yeah. very closely by the Four Tops. The Temptations. The motels. I think I might have seen one song of theirs. Maybe on this uh, New Year's Eve broadcast when it was first broadcast, and I probably have not thought about or heard the Motels since then.
1: Oh yeah, uh, The Temptations—that was amazing. It's an excellent performance, good music, awesome choreography, very smooth. Uh, the Four Tops, similar—they were a little bit, a little bit more relaxed compared to the. The very swift Temptations choreography. and yeah, the, the Four Tops synchronized... are kind of smooth. Yeah. Like, yeah. And this even included the the musical equivalent of the Bucket of Ice Water that is Tears for Fears. And I mean that in a great way.
0: Okay, I want to hear the explanation of how that's a great
1: way. Okay. Because A, it completely resets the mood. Their songs are very different than everything else. It was immediately... Set a new baseline, and everything can ramp up again from here. And it's not low energy, but just in terms of sound and attention and such. And just, like, you need that to keep your drinks cold and keep things moving and keep people coming back. I thought it was great, but it was definitely a shock at first in terms of tonal shift when they started playing to me.
0: Well, yeah, I really, I appreciate how positive you're being about this, because I've got some stuff in my notes about this, and it's like you've got, you're bringing in Tears for Fears to do their song Shout on New Year's Eve, and that's like not really a cheerful song. No. And like, Happy Happy New Year? Um, you won't really have to die right away? I mean, There's a lot of stuff on Tears for Fears. At best, Tears for Fears is tranquil and thoughtful. And the rest of the time, they're just really depressing, if you ask me. I like the music. But I never thought of it as party time New Year's Eve music. Refreshing and needed, but it is a musical bucket of ice water. Yeah, and they went from Tears for Fears doing Shout to the Four Tops doing I'll Be There. And I thought that was kind of a a response. It was like the Four Tops happened to be listening to Tears for Fears and they were trying to say, it's okay, I'll I'll be here. It's not that bad, English guys. Honest. Just let's (laughs) let's talk, okay? Reach out to me if you need me.
1: Two, two sad British guys leaning over there, and then there's just four hands, one to each shoulder, batting them on. That's right. Their, yeah. It'll be okay. Come on, brother. It's going to be all right.
0: And it worked. Uh, that's how I took it. That was kind of you know, the four tops um, brought me brought me back out of that little minor depression from uh, from listening to Tears for Fears on our Urset's New Year's Eve.
1: We'd like to wish all our friends and those people that aren't particularly our friends a very happy new year. Anyway, may all your dreams come true in 1986. And meanwhile, have a great New Year's Eve. Happy new year. I mean, the the, uh, the other shock to the system that kind of reset every time was our two hosts.
0: And here are your hosts from the hit television shows The Love Boat and Dynasty 2 The Cold Days, Ted McGinley and Emma Fan. Right.
1: I didn't write down the names, but. It was just a continual, every time we came back from commercial, it was awkward pickup time. It was him trying to hit on his female co-host in the most awkward way every single time. Yeah, that was, uh, it was really uncomfortable in a lot of
0: ways. Oh, it boy. Was, I don't remember their full names, but it was, it was Ted, who was from The Love Boat. He was like your ship's photographer on The Love Boat. <laughs> and Emma something, who was starring in Dynasty 2, The Colby's. Oh my goodness. What those mean exactly I don't know. I didn't didn't watch a lot of uh, of, of that. I mean, I know The Love Boat, but I kind of remembered the the earlier days of The Love Boat more.
1: Okay, yeah, if he's the ship's photographer, I'm sorry, he is disappearing on a a life ring at some point mid-trip at this rate if he keeps up that attitude. This guy is is really pushing it. <laughs> and and the fact that it's so staged it it makes it almost worse, because at least if it was more improv-seeming, you could blame just him. But I feel like if there's an entire writing and directing group I have to also shake fist at.
0: Yeah, it's not like this was all spontaneous. Clearly, it was not spontaneous stuff from him.
1: No. He's
0: not—I don't think he was that quick, and he wasn't a good enough actor to make it seem spontaneous. So, yeah, there's a, so there was a writer or a team of writers— and a head writer who said, Yeah, this is a good joke. Let's go with that. It's like, that makes no, it worse.
1: That yes, makes it worse. This
0: does not make it better. You're right. Oh, my goodness. But it was really overall, the tears for fears notwithstanding, the whole broadcast was this MTV era high energy. Let's zip back and forth from place to place. What the little pieces they put together were sometimes surprising, but they were always doing something and always had something moving. Dick Clark's main job was to be the host, talk to the camera. And also to go out and talk to people in Times Square and greet them and ask where they came from and how they're dealing with the cold. Attend a wedding. Yeah. And there was a wedding like on the rooftop. There was an actual wedding and they show the beginning of the wedding and the the minister who's uh, officiating the wedding begins it. And then they cut away to more goofy jokes from the love (laughs) boat guy. And they cut back uh, a few minutes later when the wedding is over.
1: Actually, I believe they spaced it with one of those tears for fears in the middle. So I think we went if I'm trying to remember the order, but I think we went wedding pickup lines, tears for fears, commercials, end of wedding. That may be, yeah. Which, uh, it was some order like that, and it's still, um...
0: So what are they (laughs) going to brag about after that? Are they going to brag that they were married on New Year's Eve with Dick Clark as a witness? Are they going to brag that Tears for Fears played at their wedding? Or are they going to brag that their wedding was sponsored
1: by Chevy Cavalier? I think they're going to have to promote the fact that their wedding was sponsored by Dr. Pepper,
0: Right. Yeah. And that's something that's different. We, uh, we usually have some kind of a narrative to talk about on the Intermillennium Media Project, and we really didn't
1: in this, except we did. Except the Dr. Pepper commercials. Yes. That was actually the clearest narrative we got across all of this, because it was this sci-fi Western of this guy, like, getting into bar fights and taking down regimes with the power of Dr. Pepper. Right. It was all set
0: After the Cola Wars, in this post-apocalyptic landscape, so it was kind of Mad Max headroom, (laughs) as Cola commercials, or as Dr. Pepper commercials, I should say. What do you have? Something different. The Cola Wars are over! Bring nothing different! I have something, something different.
1: Bring this character back. Bring this character back. I I want to see him again. I want to see, you know, leather vest, shoulder pads, and white hat going into places, fighting people, and asking for Dr. Pepper. That was the best ad I've seen for that soda in forever. Okay, that means
0: I have to interject now with our usual questions. We'll address later the fact that our usual questions don't really (laughs) apply to the New Year's Rock and Eve broadcast. But when we talk about TV shows, we always ask revive reboot or rest in peace i don't know that we can say that about new year's rock and eve but we can ask that about the dr pepper post-apocalyptic after the cola wars commercial so reboot you want reboot i want a reboot of this dr pepper yeah i think you're right we're not going to get those same actors and directors and people back to 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 show us what happens next yeah but you want a new version of the cola wars you
1: can yes this would work i think i think we've got got that bit here Yes. (laughs) I'm with you.
0: Of those options, revive, reboot, or rest in peace, I'll take a reboot of this. Yeah. Where's Ronald Moore to give us the even grittier, darker, more serious reboot of the post-Cola Wars? So when it comes to the New Year's Rockin' Eve itself, it was really once you kind of get into the rhythm of it and the, the, the tempo of it, it's more of the same. And you can see how this would also serve as that kind of background to a new year's eve party for another generation it's not necessarily going to be something that people sit down and watch but it can be because there's enough going on
1: to engage you oh absolutely it everything of that sort of media and the, and as you you described it before the concept of ambient media this is specifically and there's, there's ambient soundtrack and such and that's something that people know but the concept of ambient video the concept of ambient in environmental media in that sense designed just to put you in a a mindset alongside others for an event is not has not gone away but it also doesn't evolve in the same way as other media it it shifts with what's popular but it's still attempting the same thing Maybe just differently, maybe a slightly new targeting, but the purpose of it's that same thing. Yep.
0: I'd be interested to know, I don't know if there's any way to find this out or if anybody's ever done surveys about this. For those who watched, either watched then or watch now, New Year's Rock and Eve, how many TVs tuned into that are TVs that are at a party with a lot of people? And how many of those televisions are in places where people are not at a party? because they don't have a party to go to, or they are uh, someplace where they can't get to a party. And this is their way of attending a party,
1: because they can share it with everybody else on ABC. Mm -hmm. Because being able to just relax back and have that in the... Relax and have that in the background, while you enjoy your own time, you, you know, raise a drink when the ball drops, you're there in some form. And I'm trying to think... What the newest version of that is? Because there's still programs like this on now. There is still this program. This program, New yeah. Year's Rock and Eve, is still happening.
0: Dick Clark unfortunately passed away some years ago, uh, but now it's Dick Clark's Ryan uh, Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve with Ryan Seacrest. So they still honor Dick Clark, and Ryan Seacrest has been the host for a long time, even before Dick Clark passed away. Mm-hmm.
1: But it's I, I, I can't yeah. tell if that means this is still going. Because as we described, this is something that goes away after the year it's done. It's Very ephemeral. It's it's so ephemeral. And so I'm trying to figure out how you think about this as a whole. Because is this individual instances, which just happened to Phoenix-like revive? Or is this an entire lineage of one thing like the name would suggest? And that these are a a continuation in that sense. Is Dick
0: Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve one great magnum work? Each year is a chapter in it. Or Mm. is each one an isolated ephemeral piece that comes and goes never to be thought of again?
1: Like some sort of cultural mandala for that year. And I don't know. And that's what I'm trying to to make a final decision on and think up because how you look at it would change how you expect it to change. So I'm trying to think of what this is as a whole. And if this is one giant piece that is new chapters every year, then at some point, the quicker editing the individual disparate bits from one group to the next mean that it will move farther away from that Guy Lombardi you're here in the room and here's the one band playing in the background and turn into something more like a curated playlist that happens to interrupt itself for the synchronized event hmm but if these are individual format but ephemeral pieces like that, if they're designed to be that, it can hold on to this more as a, a summary system that can be repeated for longer, I think, because it wouldn't have to try to adapt to keep up the same way. So I almost think that if it is, if they are isolated, it actually makes it live longer because it won't, it doesn't seem as tired early. That's interesting.
0: And So much of it might depend on how things change year to year, because if you look at isolated examples, you're going to see dramatic changes. If we watched the first Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve from sometime in the late 60s, and then we watched one from the mid-70s, and we see this one from the 80s and 90s and so on, they would seem so different in some ways. They'd still have a similar structure, but they would seem very, very different. I'm wondering if you watched each year's installment at one after another would it seem more continuous would you see an evolution that would make them appear to go together more than
1: these isolated pieces our hunt the hunt to find one of these to watch wasn't easy you, you were saying that it was hard to find find these they're they're not saved a lot of places
0: right it just happens that i happen to find one where someone recorded it on a vhs tape and put it on the uh, digitized it and put it on the
1: internet archive but if you could get samples of every five years let's say give it enough space there every five years and give us like a 10 minute clip from and i'm pulling numbers out of nowhere here because i'm just trying to get like a, a place right in the middle of this A 10-minute clip from 30 minutes before the ball drops. So the the event is in, in swing. You're not getting the intro where they're introducing everything, and you're not getting the ball drop where everything shuts down to focus on that. You're getting it in the middle of its content to keep you going, and you put those in a row. What would it look like?
0: You know, we went into this assuming that our usual questions were not going to apply in any way to something like this. Our, uh, uh, we, we talked a little bit in the terms of the commercials about the revive, reboot or, reboot, or rest in peace. Our other question that we always ask is binge or no binge. I think that our answer is, if it were possible, go ahead and binge, if, at least as a cultural artifact. If anybody can find all of the recordings of these... Go ahead and spend the 60 hours or whatever it would take and let us
1: know what you think about this. (laughs) This is a binge, not because there's something specifically that we can say is great about binging. This is a binge because if you could binge, what you would learn about the overall of media might be grand.
0: I think this is either a media or an anthropology PhD
1: waiting to happen. Oh, absolutely! It's analysis of New Year's Rock and Eve, and that dead stare into the camera. What happened to it? Oh yeah, we got to find out what happened to that dead stare, the lost power move.
0: Well, on that unexpected note of analyzing Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve as a a cultural artifact, I think it's time for us to wish you all a happy New Year. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope that. Uh, 2019 or whatever year it is, is a terrific one for all of you. And once again, I am Matthew Porter and you can find me at MatthewFPorter.com or you can find me on Twitter at ByMatthewPorter uh, and there are two T's in
1: Matthew. And Ian? And you can find me as ItemCrafting most places, be that either on Twitter or ItemCrafting.com. And yeah, see you in this new year. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, so we're going to
0: we're, we're, uh, appreciate everybody who's listening to uh, the Intermillennium Media Project. We are going to keep uh, uh, recording these because I'm going to keep showing all this weird stuff to Ian.
1: So We're going to keep on trying to figure out why he is this weird. <laughs> so we will see you soon. And remember, in this new year, go find something new to watch.